What a breath of fresh air you are to us, Father God. The very air that we breathe, pumping our hearts all day and we don't even know it. Filling our life with joy, constantly protecting us in times that we don't even know what's happening. You're so good to us. We want to be good to other people because of that. We're working on it here, Lord, and we're asking you to continue to, starting with the one who's speaking, to grow us up in the likeness of Christ so that we can be a fresh air to each other. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, you be seated. Okay, so if you guys have been coming to church here for a while, or if you've heard me speak a time or two, then you know that on occasion, not very often, but on occasion, I might tell a joke or two from the pulpit. Now, the mood has to be just right, and the circumstances have got to be just right, and it has to be a funny joke. I wouldn't tell a joke if it wasn't funny. But when all of those things come together, I might, on occasion now, slip in a pun or a joke. Well, the mood's right. I've got to tell you what. I heard this last week. This gal that works for the CDC, she's on her way to work one morning, and she sees this frog in the ditch, and she picked it up. And the frog said, ma'am, if you just kiss me, I'll turn into a prince. I'll give you lots of money. She stuffed it in her pocket and kept walking. He said, ma'am, she stopped pulling it out. He said, if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into a prince. I'll give you lots of money, and and I'll be your boyfriend. Stuffed him back in the pocket. They walked a little bit. He said, ma'am, she pulled the frog out again. He said, if you just kiss me, I'll turn into a prince, and I'll marry you. And you can be the princess in in the castle. Stuck him back in the pocket. They walked a little bit. He said, ma'am. She pulled him out and said, what? He said, I don't know what else to offer you. I've offered you all these things. Kiss me. I'll turn to a friend. She said, nah, I work for the CDC. I'm too busy for a boyfriend. I'm way too busy for a husband. But a talking frog? That's pretty cool. I said I only tell funny jokes. Let's try that again, all right? Listen, we've been talking about transforming into likeness of Christ here for weeks. And we've had some fun with it. But we also know this is no joke. And people are counting on us. The world's on fire right now, and they're counting on us. They're looking for hope. They're looking for calm. They're looking for answers, and we have all of that in Jesus Christ. And so keep transforming. I'm watching it happening because if you do that, then people are going to, they're going to talk. They're going to say things like, I don't have time for it. I'm too busy to go to church. I'm too busy to talk about Jesus. I'm too busy to be reading the Bible, but I'll tell you this much. Those Christians are cool. And you keep transforming in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Let me just quote the guy from Men's Warehouse years ago. You're going to like the way you look. I guarantee it. And you're going to be a breath of fresh air to the people around you. And they need that right now. They need us. Now, the Bible, of course, is full of all kinds of people who were a breath of fresh air to the people around them. And the one I want to talk about this morning, as far as I know, in in my 40 years of preaching, I've only talked about this one other time, and I forgot about how exciting this guy is. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, and it's it's a a guy that was a friend of Paul. And I probably need to set this up, uh, give you a little background. The Apostle Paul, uh, when we get to the, the end of the book of Acts, has been arrested, and he's on house arrest in Rome. Now, he's still preaching. He's preaching to the soldiers. He's still writing books. He, he wrote the book of Philemon and Philippians when he was in jail. And, and in his letters, he made it pretty evident that he expected to be released. And evidently, he was released not too long after. I'm going to have to look at my notes for this because it's a series. But after this, he, uh, when he got released, he, he went on the road. He went to Crete. He left Titus there. He moved from Ephesus, he left Timothy there. He traveled from there to Miletus, he left Trophimus there. 
Then he went to Troas, because that's where he left his books and his parchments, remember that. And then from Troas, he went to Macedonia. And from there, he wrote the book of Titus and 1 Timothy. In short, I'm just telling this, you talk about busy. This guy was an evangelistic machine for Jesus Christ. I mean, he was a breath of fresh air. Everybody he came in contact with, he touched him, he healed him, he taught him about Jesus Christ. And then he went to the Nicopolis to spend the winter. And while he was at Nicopolis, he got arrested again, only this time it's a whole lot more serious. This time it was for treason against Rome. This time it's not house arrest. This time he's in a dungeon chained to the wall. And this time he doesn't expect to be released. This time he expects to be executed. This is a bad time in the life of Paul, and he needs a friend. He needs a true friend, a breath of fresh air, and he gets one. Read this text with me. He says, you know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Now, you read through the rest of the book of 2 Timothy, and it's pretty obvious that Paul spent the last days of his life lots of disappointment. But there wasn't anything more disappointing to this guy than what we just read in verse 15. And that is all these people, all these years that he was a breath of fresh air to, uh, the, uh, the, the people that he touched and healed and taught in Jesus Christ, all of them cut out on him in his biggest time of need. They left him, deserted him. Kind of what happened to Jesus when you think about it. And I'm sure some of you in here have had a similar experience. Some of you in here have had uh, a friend turn on you or uh, a spouse maybe and left you in a terrible situation and you were thinking, well, at least I can count on so-and-so. As tough as it is, at least I won't have to go through this alone. And then they don't show up. Well, that's, that's Paul. And, and for Paul, it's these two jokers, Phygelus and Hermogenes. That sounds like something you do to a glass of milk, doesn't it, Hermogenes? All, all I know about these two guys, I didn't do a lot of research. There's not much told about them anyway, is that we do know they were friends who pretended to be friends. These were two guys that Paul thought, no matter what else happens to me, at least I can count on these two. And then he finds out he can't. Now, I also don't want you to get the idea that Paul's disappointed to die for Christ. You read the rest of his books. He's not disappointed at all to die for Jesus. He's looking forward to that. He's disappointed to die for Jesus alone. And I don't blame him for that either. Uh, you know what this would be like? Uh, this would be like, uh, well, well, look at verse 4. You, you get an idea. Verse, uh, I mean, verse 16 in chapter 4. At my first defense, he, he says, at my very first appearance before the judge, no one came to my support. Everybody deserted me. I mean, I can't, I can't picture that. that the walk from the courthouse back to the jailhouse got to be the longest walk in his life because he did it all alone. Th this would be like me getting arrested tomorrow morning for preaching today. And that might happen someday. I mean, we're moving that way, I'm telling you. And I go to court on Tuesday morning, and I'm thinking to myself, well, at least my friends from South Union Christian Church will show up. At least John Robertson from over at the west side, Sherwood Oaks, my, one of my best friends, at least he'll show up. At least Byron Williams from, from uh, uh, Ellisville Christian Church. At least he'll show up. Salisbury friends. And then nobody shows up. That's Paul, man. This, this is gut-wrenching stuff for him. Nobody shows up. Now, he's thinking about some of the friends that would have been there if they could have, like Timothy. But then you look at chapter 4, verse 19. He, reads, he writes this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila 
and the household of Onesiphorus, who's been very faithful to me, co-workers for a long time. So this is the second time now in this book where we read this strange name, Onesiphorus. Bless you. I mean, it sounds like a sneeze or something, doesn't it? But we've got to ask, what in the world did this guy do, somebody we've never heard of before, that would cause him to be on the heart and the mind of somebody as popular and as powerful as the Apostle Paul? What did he do to get that status? Well, the answer is in verse 16. Paul says, because he refreshed me. And he's not ashamed of my chains. Now, I, I, worked, I looked up the word refresh to see what it means in the Greek. Because I'm not like Mark. I don't read Greek. And I had to look it up. But the word refresh in the Greek means to be refreshed with fresh air. In fact, medicinally, it means for a wound to be healed with fresh air. You know, like when somebody passes out and we say, get back, get back, give them air. That's what this word means. And so this honest sniffers guy has been a breath of healing fresh air to Paul. In fact, the translation in the message version goes like this. He braced me up. Isn't that good? The worst time in my life, he braced me up. Now, how did he brace him up? Again, the text doesn't say. There's all kinds of possibilities. Maybe he brought him some blankets. Dungeons are cold and damp. Maybe he brought him some food. Prison food's nasty. Maybe he brought him a Big Mac French fries, big size with a Coke or something. That tastes real good. Only if you were in prison would something like that taste real good. Or maybe he brought him some words of some of the churches that Paul had been. It could have been a thousand different things, but I'll tell you, the biggest thing that honest sniffers brought Paul was honest sniffers. I like to say that word, obviously. But it's the truth. When you're in a bad situation or a good situation, either one, the best thing you can have, the best thoughts you can have, is to know for a fact that somebody loves you, that you matter to somebody. And this guy went out of his way to find Paul to say, you matter to me. You changed my life. You, you breathed life into me when I needed it. You were a breath of fresh air to me. I want to be a breath of fresh air to you. And listen, he didn't get vacation time for this. He lived in Ephesus. This guy left his job. He left his family. He left everything he knew and went all the way to find Paul. And he found him. He looked hard to find Paul. And the Bible says he often refreshed me. Now, this is big to go to jail and to give refreshment to somebody charged with treason. Rome's not like Bloomington. The prison system in Rome wasn't like the prison system in Indiana. I mean, you can leave after church today and go to Putnamville or the boys' school up in Plainfield, or you can go right over here to the local jail and visit somebody, pray with them, love on them. I mean, I've done that lots of times. I bet some of you have too. And you're not guilty by association at all. You can just come and go. It wasn't like that in Rome. You went to the prison to visit somebody who had been charged and arrested for treason, and you showed to be their friend. It was pretty much assumed you were treasonous too. And my point is, this is high-risk, high-dangerous discipleship and friendship that's going on here. This is high-cost friendship, but he didn't care. He walked right into that dungeon, passed all the glaring guards, walked right up to Paul and laid a big hug on him. You know why? Because he was a real friend, a real disciple, a, a a breath of fresh air. Now, there's not much else we can say about this guy. He's, he's only in the Bible three times, or three verses. But, you know, you've got to think, if you're only going to be in the Bible three times and three verses, this ain't bad. It's not bad at all. A couple of quick principles that I want us to take to the table with us this morning and then on out to practice as we continue to transform in the likeness of Christ. And here's the first one. No Christian should ever suffer alone. No Christian should ever say, everybody's deserted me. And I want to remind you something you already know. Jesus Christ takes the ministry of refreshment very seriously. 
In fact, he told a parable about it in Matthew chapter 25, the sheep and the goats. Remember that parable? Sheep and the goats? Guy took his, ghost to, uh, his goat to the ice cream parlor. And they sat down and started eating ice cream. They ate ice cream for two hours. Doesn't that sound heavenly? And they ate so much ice cream, the guy got sick and the goat died. He just fell over and died. The guy looked at his goat, and he kind of got up, tried to slip out the door. And the guy behind the counter said, hey, man, you can't just leave that lion here. He says, it's not a lion, it's a goat. The sheep and the goats, okay? The parable of the sheep and the goats. Try that, kids. Put that up there on a video. So um, one got to go to heaven, the kingdom, and the other one didn't. Remember who did not go? The goats. And the goats were shocked they didn't get in. The goats lived good lives. The goats went to church, probably Sunday and Wednesday. They memorized Scripture. Some of them were preachers. They were shocked they didn't get in. Do you remember why they didn't get in? It's pretty important. It's in verse 42. Jesus said, it's pretty simple. I was hungry. You didn't give me anything to eat. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was naked. You didn't bother giving me any clothes. I was sick in prison. I, I felt deserted. I was alone. I had all this going on. You didn't even bother to check on me, so you get out of here. Hmm. Now, these, didn't, these, these people didn't have a morality problem at all. Their problem was they weren't bothering giving refreshment to anybody else. Why? Again, we don't know why. Pretty good guess, though, right? They were too busy and too worried about themselves to take care of anybody else. Jesus takes this very seriously. And really, it doesn't take that much to encourage somebody. I read about a coach in the NFL. He took a new job. I don't know if you know how stressful it is to coach in the NFL or even in the college ranks. If you don't win, you're in trouble. Well, this guy took over, and his predecessor left him two envelopes. And the first envelope said, open this envelope after you've lost the thir first game, or third game of the season, which happened in three games. The guy was just distraught. So he opened up the envelope. It was just full of encouraging words. Uh, you know, keep your head up. You're doing a good job. You're a great coach. Don't give up. Keep going. And the last instruction in that first one said, open the next envelope after you've lost the sixth game of the season, which came pretty quickly too. He opened up the envelope. It was just one line. Prepare two envelopes. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> think about that for a minute. You're going to laugh in a few minutes. Listen, we're the body of Jesus Christ, Okay. And when somebody gets sick in this body, or they feel alone, or they're out of money, or they're worried about all this stuff going on, and we don't come to their side, Jesus takes that very seriously. No Christian should suffer alone. I don't care what the disease is. I don't care what the sin is. I don't care what the verdict is. No Christian should suffer alone. Very serious business to Jesus Christ. Here's principle number two. All of us in here need to be refreshers. All of us need to be a breath of fresh air. Now, God doesn't expect all of us in here to do everything in the body of Christ. That's why he gave us all different gifts. But he expects every one of us to be part of the ministry of caring. We just read the parable. He expects every one of us to be uh, ministers of refreshment. I had an elder come to me one time. It wasn't here. It's in the only other church we've been, Centerton. He came up to me one day, uh, one Sunday, and he said, Hey, I need you to go see so-and-so. They're in the hospital. Well, I was part-time, obviously, and I said, I'll go tomorrow after work. What hospital are they in? Uh, do you know the room number and what's wrong with them? No kidding, this is what he said to me. He said, I, I don't know, I don't know what, I think they're in Methodist. I'm not really sure. Uh, I said, you haven't been up there yet? And he said, well, I'm not going up there. We pay you to go to the hospital. We had us a little Bible study right there, you know what I mean? 
Now, you people know I, I love this family, and I love going to the hospital, and I love praying with people in the nursing homes, and the staff love it. We love to lay hands on people and pray over them, and I can't wait till this COVID business is over so we can go back and do that again. But I told this brother, I will not allow myself to be the paid minister of compassion to a group of Christian people who are too busy to do it themselves. And you know why? Because it's not biblical. Because you can't pay somebody to take your compassion to the hospital for you. You've got to do that yourself. You can't pay somebody to be a breath of fresh air to somebody. You have to do that yourself. It's not the preacher's job. It's not the executive minister's job. It's not the staff's job. It's not the elder's job. We don't have a deacon in charge of a refreshment ministry. It's you all's job to take care of each other. And we need it now like nobody's business. It's called encouragement. And that word means in the Greek to come alongside. And there's people hurting in this church right now. Some of them that would probably surprise you. That are doing without or are scared to death with all the stuff and the rumors going on. And they need somebody to come alongside. And I'm challenging you all to be a breath of fresh air. It's important. As we grow up in Christ, that's our next step. Now it's going to take a few things. I'm going to go through these real quick and then we're going to take communion. Number one, it takes unselfishness. And I'm going to be honest with you, most of us, and I said us, please, I said us, most of us come to the plate on this one, already two strikes against us. Because we're living in a society right now that's teaching us to be as selfish as we can about everything. And it's deep, and we got our heels dug in, and it's subtle. We're told to take care of our family and to take care of each other. And, and I'll give you an example. It's all about profit and loss. You know how you tell the difference? If you get more out of something than you put in, that's a profit. Conversely, if you get less out of something you put in, that's a loss. Nobody wants a loss these days. Not in the market, not in their relationship, not in their marriage, not at work, not at church. Nobody wants to put more into something than they're getting out of it. And I'm telling you, if we're going to be refreshers, we've got to stop that nonsense. Because God's going to send you to places where people cannot get, possibly give you back what you're giving to them. Look at Onesiphorus. He's refreshing Paul. Paul can't ever pay him back. He, Paul can't say, well, let's come over to my house. We'll do this at my house next week. He's chained to a wall. I had something else happen to me early on in my ministry, and it did happen here. But that brother's gone now, so I can tell you I wouldn't give a name anyway. But we'd gone to, remember that John Maxwell thing we went to? And John Maxwell said, Never do ministry alone. I've never forgot that. Never do ministry. Always take somebody with you so you're training them, teaching, mentoring. We've taken that very seriously as a staff here. And so anyway, we had a deacon at the time, and I called him up, and I said, hey, brother, let's go out and get a bite to eat tonight. And he said, okay. And I said, then when we're done, we're going to go over to so-and-so's house, and we're going to lay hands on them and pray because they're, they're really having a time. And he kind of hesitated. And I said, what's up, man? You've, you got something else going on tonight? He said, no, nah, it's just that... I just don't get too much out of it to go to somebody's house and pray over them. I said, hello, I'm not worried about you getting something out of it. I'm worried about them getting something out of it. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, love is not self-seeking. If you and I are going to be ministers of refreshment, and we need to be, we got to stop being selfish and stop looking for other people, start looking for other people. Second one, very quickly, awareness. Ministers of refreshment always have their eyes open. Always looking for places to help. Paul says in verse 17, when I was in Rome, he searched for me. He searched hard for me, Paul says. 
Paul didn't fax this guy. He didn't email him. He didn't didn't tweet him. He didn't call him on the phone. This guy found Paul. He went to prison to prison until he found Paul. He was aware of things going on around him. We need to do that, especially in the church. I read this article in a Miami uh, newspaper. Now, this has been years ago. Probably some of you remember it. But uh, this guy was traveling from uh, Germany, and he stopped at a hotel in Miami, Florida, and he said the hotel room stunk so bad he couldn't hardly breathe. But he said he, he had traveled to hotels before when it stunk like that, and he didn't want to make a big deal out of it. He's in a hurry, so he checked out in the morning and, and got on his plane to go to his next stop. That afternoon, this is a true story, the maid found what the problem was. There was a dead body under his bed. And I remember the article. The article said, life, real life, is filled with problems, and often it seems the best thing to do with them is just ignore them. But if people realized how serious some problems were, they would take more action. I can't think of better counsel for the church than that. Real refreshers, breath of fresh air, they don't wait to get invited. They don't wait to get asked. They don't wait to be begged. They show up. And again, in our culture, you're going to have to keep your eyes open for that because we've taught each other in the church, everything's okay. You come to church, how you doing? We're doing fine. <laughs> You got plenty of food? Yeah, we have plenty of money. Relationship with Christ's good. Family's getting along fine. Everything's good. Because I tell you, if somebody comes up to you on Sunday and says, how you doing? And you say, brother, I'm about ready to drop. You'll park the waters. Nobody else will talk to you all day, you know? So you don't have to keep your eyes open, your antennas up. Because our church is full of people right now that need something. And we've got to be looking for it. We are a breath of fresh air. Thirdly, it takes humility. Refreshers are very often the very last people noticed. I mean, the, just look at this text. Again, this is only the second time I've ever preached on this. And so if you weren't here for the first time or you've never read this text, you've probably never heard of Honest Sniffers again. I mean, people name their kids after biblical characters all the time. Esther and Peter and Timothy and my favorite, James. <laughs> but I've never met anybody named their kid Honest Sniffers. You know? And, and that's my point. Refreshers barely get their name put in the church paper. Very seldom do they get called up on the stage and get applause or put on a plaque. This is a behind-the-scenes ministry. In fact, the best refreshing you'll ever do, only two people will know, the person you refreshed in God. I read in Chaplin Magazine years ago, Charles Spurgeon, you all know Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher, also was excellent at uh, raising chickens and selling eggs. He made a lot of money raising chickens and selling eggs, but they said he wouldn't give eggs to anybody. He had a sign out front that said, you want them, you buy them. He wouldn't even give them to his family. And, of course, the people in the church talked about him, said, you know, he's stingy and greedy. Churches sometimes talk about the preachers, you know what I mean? But anyway, he's just a terrible guy. And he knew they were saying those things, but he never defended himself. And then when he died, everybody found out what was going on. Every dime from all of those eggs went to two widows in the church. And he never told anybody. That's not letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Matthew 6, 3. That's the greatest in the kingdom. And then one last thing. It's going to take, being a refresher, it's going to take courage. I mean, it's just going to take courage. We know it's at least possible, I think probable, that Honest Sniffers died for this. And I think that for two reasons. Number one, it happened all the time. And number two, everything we read about him is past tense. But one way or another, this took a lot of courage. And I'm telling you, if you do this and you need to do this, this is our calling, it's going to take a lot of courage. I can't tell you I've, how many times I've been sent by the Holy Spirit to someplace, somebody's house, I didn't want to go. 
People just think that ministers get this little black book in college that tells them everything they need to say in every situation. If you find that book, would you buy me a copy, please? Because I'm just like you. I've gone to places where I've been terrified. I've sat out in front of people's houses and cried and said, Lord, I just want to go home. I don't even know what to say. They lost a child. Their marriages broke up. It's terminal. I don't know what to say. I want to go home, but you don't go home. You don't go home. Uh, my neighbor, Phil Van Hook, some of you met him. He, he passed away about three years ago, great man of God. Well, they moved in next door to us about 30 years ago or so, and uh, I was pretty green, and he, he, him and I talked a few times, and he had a colostomy bag, and it plugged up one night, and we were talking at the fence, and he looked terrible. I mean, he was gray and bloated, and he had put two great big bottles of, I don't know how they work, but two great big bottles of soap water to go through it, to cleanse it, and to open it up, and it backed up. So he was in a bad way. And his wife, Barb, who I'd only talked to probably once or twice, she called me that night about 9.30, and she said, Jimmy, this is Barb Van Hook. And I said, yeah, how are you? And she said, would you come over and anoint Phil with oil? We're in trouble. I said, I'll be right over. And I hung up, and I told her, I don't know what to do. I, I'm terrified. I'd never... It's 30 years ago. I never anointed anybody. You hadn't bought me any oil yet, Double D. I mean, I didn't know how to do that kind of thing. So I called my dad and I said, Dad, how do you anoint somebody with oil? He said, you got any oil? I said, no. He said, you got any Crisco? I said, yeah. He said, put a little Crisco in a cup. Take it over there. Put your thumb in it. Put it on his forehead and pray like nobody's business. I've never had a prayer session like that before or since. It, Eric, it rivaled the love farm. We, we prayed for an hour, the three of us, with our hands up. We sang, we laughed, we cried, and of course that broke free. But I was terrified. I wanted to go home, but you don't go home. We got to go. People are counting on us. We got to go. We got to be a breath of fresh air. Aren't you glad he didn't go home? He wanted to. Any possible way we can do this another way, Lord, please take this cup from me. But God said no so he went. What a breath of fresh air. We celebrate the broken body and the blood of Jesus Christ this morning because of that, for the life he's given us and the eternal life. If you don't know him as your personal Lord and Savior, please come and talk to me. I'm sitting right here.